Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. How you doing, church? You feeling good this morning? You good? Happy Thanksgiving. You're the people who love Jesus and go to uh, church on Thanksgiving weekend. Give it up for yourselves. There's greatest real reward in heaven. Uh, before I start, is my wife in here? Or did she dip? She dipped? That's all right. Hey, uh, my son has his birthday on Wednesday. I want to say happy birthday. He's going to turn 18. Stand up, Isaac. Stand up. Give everybody a wave. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, just so you know, he wants for his birthday money. And so, which works out because we're talking about money today. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So, <clears throat> we're, we're, uh, we're in our series, Money Talks, or Money Talks. We're going to talk again about finances, and um, uh, some people, they, they have misconceptions of finances, they have misconceptions of money. Uh, many people don't have any conception of money. They just live and hope they have enough. They don't have a plan. They just kind of live, they kind of freewheel it. And maybe I'll have enough money, maybe I won't. Or just I'm used to not having it and I just live like money doesn't matter. But money actually matters, amen? Finances matter. Uh, you know, um, financial obligations are the number two cause of divorce after infidelity. So as much as you hate infidelity... Money problems are almost as likely to ruin your marriage. And we work hard in the church at keeping marriages from uh, not uh, entering into fornication or adultery, but we don't work nearly as hard as protecting them financially, which doesn't make any sense. Amen? Uh, if you live in poverty, you're far more likely to have children with health problems, uh, children who, who will have obesity. Your children are more likely to be um, in the criminal justice system. Your children are more likely to have ongoing, lifelong health issues, you're more likely to die 10 years earlier than those who did not grow up in poverty. So this kind of matters. Finances matter. Financial obligations are the number one cause of anxiety and stress in our country, in our country today. And the Bible tells us that an unhealthy relationship with money can destroy our relationship with God. Let me show you this in the scripture. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> Now, in the parable of the sower, Jesus calls the word the seed, and we are the soil. And we see that the sower sows seed all over the place, right? And we see, this, the, we see the seed is, 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 fruit, is fruitful in one type of soil, but it doesn't really work well in every other type of soil. And as we look in Mark 4, uh, starting in verse 18, he says, and the other ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. An unhealthy relationship with money can actually ruin your relationship with God. So I think it's important that the church would talk about finances uh, and so we're just doing a short three-week uh, series on finances. Last week, if you didn't hear last week's message, get it, listen to it over and over until you get some hope 
in your heart about your finances. It is not our heart to, um, let me say it this way, we actually trust God to pay our bills. We don't, we, don't, uh, we don't ever enter into any level of manipulation. We never teach on money and then receive an offering in-house in Revival Life Church. We just feel like it's too easy to get into manipulation that way. Uh, and so we just guard it. Um, if we need money for something, we'll tell you. We need money for something, right? And we're not going to say, and you need to give because God is looking. We're just, we just trust that people will be generous. It is our job as a leadership of Revival Life Church to teach people about finances, and we trust God to do his part. But more so, it's really our heart to see that you would not be bound by the deceitfulness of riches. We don't want to see you bound for anything, let alone something that dumb. Amen? So today, I'm going to talk about uh, money myths. Money myths is the, uh, is the title of my message. Money myths. Amen? Money myths. We're going to go over some common money myths. I'm going to show you what the word has to say about money. Here's the number one myth. The first one. Are you ready? Yes. Our first myth. To serve God, you have to leave the pursuit of wealth. To, to, to serve God, you have to leave the pursuit of wealth. And here's where this, uh, this, this lie comes from. If we look in uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. See, now someone finished the sentence for me and said God and money, and I was hoping you would. Uh, because the common myth is that you can't serve God and money, because that's what the Bible says. Actually, the Bible does not say that. The Bible says you cannot serve God and wealth. Now, of course, I don't know if you know this, uh, imagine you do, the Bible was not actually written in English. Jesus even did not speak English, no matter what all the movies say. <laughs> He didn't speak English. As a matter of fact, he wasn't even Caucasian, right? <laughs> as hard as that is for the American church to identify with, <laughs> Jesus is God, though, so he could be whatever he wants to be, right? And so the scripture here, he says, you cannot serve God and wealth. The word that Jesus used was not wealth. It's translated to wealth. The word that is actually there is mammonis, or where we get the word mammon. Now, this Greek word mammonis, uh, it, it literally means avarice. Now, avarice is wealth personified. It's wealth as a person. It is extreme greed and extreme greed for gain or financial wealth. It is a longing and a desire and a living for being greedy and to have money. It's personified as mammon. You cannot serve the God of heaven and earth and the God of love getting stuff at the same time. Amen. Understand that. See, mammon, he promises this lying false God, he promises us that um, those, he promises to give us the things that only God can give us. I need you to hear this. Mammon promises to give us things that only God can give us. He says, if you have enough money, you'll be happy. If you have enough money, you'll have 
peace. You'll, you'll be significant. You'll have security in life. You'll have identity. If you have money, you'll have independence. And here's a caustic one. If I get money, I will have finally power. That's what mammon promises. Mammon tells us that it can insulate us from life's problems. And he tells us with him, these money, the, 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 the problems with this world will no longer be my problems. And that money is the answer to every situation. That's what Mammon promises. Mammon says, if you just live for me, you won't have problems. And you and I know only Jesus can promise that. Amen. Only Jesus. Amen. No, let's come on. Only Jesus promises that. Only Jesus can deliver that. I've never met a super wealthy person that said, man, if you just make it to this, you won't have problems. I've never heard a wealthy person say that. Now, when you're broke and you look at them, you're like, I'd rather have your problems than my problems. That's only because you don't know their problems. When you worship mammon, you attract mammon worshipers. And the friends that you make are friends who want what you have. Let me say it this way. They want what you have. They don't want something similar. They want your stuff. They're around you because they want what you have. As a believer, when we worship Jesus, I can be around a wealthy person and I can want the success that he has and he can pray for me to have it because he knows I know it's sin to covet his stuff. I want the success in Christ that he has. I want the success in finance that he has. I want the success in life that he has. Come on, amen? This is what we get in Christ. This is what we get in Christ. In mammon, we're given just empty promises. And so Jesus says, listen, all you are seeking riches because you think it's going to solve your problems, but I'm here to let you know you can't serve God and that system at the same time. That's what the Bible actually says. Let me tell you the truth here. The truth is Jesus wants to be part of every area of your life, especially your finances. Jesus wants to be a part of every part of your life, especially your finances. As we study Joseph in the old covenant, Joseph, of course, uh, everything was taken from him. And he found himself at the bottom of a well. He literally had nothing. But we look at Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. We see, that, we see that Joseph succeeded in every area of his life. When he was in prison, when he was enslaved, he, was got, he always uh, rose to the top. And we see here in Genesis 39, 2, the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. Is that 39, 2? Genesis 39.2? Oh, here we go. So the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. Prosperity is not based on money. Prosperity is based on the presence of God in your life. Listen, when God is on your side, when the Lord has, is with you, believe it or not, you don't need money as much as those who do not have God. Because you have favor. Amen. Amen. God will give you things better than finances. He'll give you favor. He'll easily give you free flights. He'll easily make things cost less than he will for other people. Amen. God just hooks people up. And, and, it, and as we're only staring at money, God's like, man, I got other solutions for you than just money. Like, like you'll just want money, but he'll give you a business. You'll want enough money for a house, we'll give you a house cheaper than it was retail. 
You're looking for the perfect house and perfect area, and he's like, you know, I'm just hiding one for you. you, you don't have, you're not on your own here. Amen. We, have, we have several testimonies in this house of people that just had their houses hidden for them until it was time for them to buy. You don't get that with money. You get that with favor. I'll tell you from my own personal story. <clears throat> when I bought my house, <clears throat> it, it sold for less than its value. It sold for about $30,000 less than its value. And so that means that not only did I not need $30,000 more, but that my taxes were based on $30,000 left. My, my, my sales tax on the house was less. I had to borrow less, less interest, just all the way around. Now, God could have given me $30,000, or he could just make the house $30,000 cheaper. I don't care how he does it. I just have a house. That's all that really matters to me. Amen? John said, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things, even as your soul prospers. And so what I have found is there, there is a spiritual aspect of prosperity that many prosperity preachers don't actually preach. God, God what he does is when, when he begins to uh, rise the water level in your life, he generally does it everywhere. He generally does it everywhere. When God is at work, he does it everywhere. The, the success doesn't ruin your marriage. The success doesn't ruin your ministry. The success doesn't ruin your job. You don't have a great job, but a terrible marriage. When God is at work in your life, everything gets better. All boats rise with the rising tide, unless the boat has holes in it. And so I, I just tell young couples, man, just, 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 just stick it out, man. Everything gets better as you serve Christ. Everything gets better. Your finances get in order. Your relationships get in order. You're, you're just, everything starts getting better. You just start walking down the road. <clears throat> but there is, a, there is a spiritual aspect, and uh, I was just really praying in worship this morning. I wouldn't really plan on talking about this, but I, um, several years ago, um, I, <clears throat> I'm going to explain it to the first service. I don't know I'm going to talk about a second service. But um, I, I, I've seen, um, I don't believe there's a spirit of poverty, but I believe that a, that a, um, a manifestation of a spirit of infirmity is poverty. And I have seen um, the spiritual foundation of the inability to break out of poverty cycles uh, is the spirit of infirmity that sometimes afflicts the mind, that people cannot get ahead. And so you see many of the homeless, not only are they stuck in cycles of poverty, they're stuck in cycles of illness and sickness, physical, just strange physical ailments that homeless people are regularly having. They always have kind of just these ongoing medical issues, mental health Issues, financial issues, relational issues. There's just a lack of the peace and presence of God in their lives. I am not speaking judgment over them. I'm just saying this is what I've seen. I'm not saying they're not believers. I'm not saying they don't love God and God doesn't love them. What I am saying, though, is there is a spiritual aspect. And we can try to rebuke poverty as much as we want, but we need to, we need to be right with God and have our heart cleansed of every stronghold of the enemy in our life. If you don't trust God is going to work in your finances because of something in your life, it's time to get some healing happening in your heart so you can live free and in prosperity. Amen. We'll start working at the strongholds in our life that we don't actually start dealing with stuff. Amen, amen, and amen. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> Hallelujah. Prosperity is trusting God, trusting that God is with you. And that He will provide for your every need. Prosperity is, is, is trusting that God is with you and He will provide for your every need. The inability to trust God in your financial... Let me say it this way. In Revival Life Church, our call is to get God... Pardon my terminology. Get Him out of the spirit realm and into the natural realm. Get Him out of the heavens and onto the earth. Because that's where He wants His will to be done. And so if it is to manifest God's will as healing, we want to pray for healing. If we want it deliverance, it's to pray as deliverance. If it's financial breakthrough, we want it to be financial breakthrough. And if there is an aspect of our life that we don't trust God, that means that the enemy and a lie is at work there. And we want to see people live free. We want to see people live free. I have found that very few people who are wealthy are wealthy because of a gift, a spiritual gift. The majority of the people I know who are wealthy, that I know personally, are wealthy because they worked really hard. And they were smart with their money. All right? Now, at the same time, they didn't have a lot of unhealthy beliefs about money. The, the believers I know that have money don't have unhealthy beliefs about money and they worked really hard. They didn't sit at home and expect God to work hard for them. <laughs> right? They, they actually worked hard, start businesses, make tough decisions, make risks. That's the majority of the wealthy people I know. That's, 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 that's <laughs> Mike Bax, they're liking that one. It actually takes work to make money. And it's not like we come into Christ and now the work isn't necessary. Now we can work without it being an idol. And we can trust God to bless what we're doing. All right. I hope that, I'm believing I'm imparting something right now this morning. I believe that, I believe I'm imparting something. If you're not seeing breakthrough in your finances year after year, get, get some inner healing about how you're dealing with money and work harder. Work hard. Get some inner healing about how you're dealing with money, right? This has been a journey for my family, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm talking to you about what I know about. But, <clears throat> you know, we, we, if he tells us not to seek God and money, right? That's the lie. The lie is that we can't seek God and money. The problem is Jesus told us to pray for money. Now, how do we not seek God and money if he told us to pray for money, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then this way. This is the Lord's prayer that we call. Our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I need some provision, God. I am praying to you for provision. There is nothing unbiblical with you asking God for provision. And where you're at will determine how big of a provision you need. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I need the wisdom and finances to expand my business. God, I need enough money to buy my kid a car. Lord, I need enough money to buy a bigger house for my family. There's nothing wrong with that. God wants to be part of every area of your life. I mean, we need, to be, we need to be going to God with these things. I can't have God and money. Proverbs 
Chapter 13. I love this scripture. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Why would God be storing up money for us if he didn't want us to have it? Now, I don't, I'm not trying to stoke greed. I'm not trying to stoke God's going to give me a house on the beach. But I hope I am provoking. Man, with God, I can actually get my life together and get ahead financially. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Yeah. We cannot allow money to have a grip on our heart. We have to manage it with a pure heart. Let me, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. This is New Covenant. You ready? If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's new covenant. That's the covenant we're actually in. That's Paul talking to Timothy. He's like, listen. Then all through 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to kind of walk through it a little bit here for the next 15 minutes. Paul is talking to Timothy about money. He's talking about, hey, I know you're setting up a church. And you're overseeing this church, and I need to give you some pointers. And so he starts talking about the widows and how if there's widows, you know, take an offering and try to help these women because don't, don't let people starve to death in your congregation when people have money. Help them out. But this doesn't mean take care of people's families for them. If they're not taking care of their family, help them out and then evangelize the family because they're not actually believers. Because if they're believers, they would take care of their family. I came up in a church system where people were waiting to go into ministry and become rich. And it was young men not really working, taking part-time jobs and not working hard and not taking care of their families. And if they took part-time jobs, just for they were just waiting to become wealthy ministers. It was the most unhealthy system I've ever seen in my life. A bunch of young men not working, not getting into ministry, but yet having spiritual pride. Like there's something special. Has anybody ever seen this? It is the craziest thing in the world. I, I don't know if you've ever seen a young man think he's ready to be the next Benny Hinn. No Bible training. Can't keep a job. Don't know the word that well. Nobody's actually following them, but they're ready to become a millionaire preacher. Like good luck with that one, right? It never works. It never works. It never works. God is actually looking for people who can manage their business before he hires them. He can hire whoever he wants. God can hire whoever he wants. Guess what? He's going to hire people who work well. You can't lie on your resume to God. <laughs> you can't. He's like, I know this is a lie. Why would I hire you? You won't work. You won't show up on time. You won't get nothing done. You'll be dipping in the money. Stop it. No, I'm not hiring you. I tried that once. Look what happened to Judas. No, I'm not doing that again. All right. Lie number two. I hope you're enjoying yourself here. Here's the second myth. Ministers are supposed to take a vow of poverty. The truth. The truth, the devil's a liar. <laughs> the devil is a liar. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so where, where, is this, where is this lie based out of? Well, uh, 
If you're, if you're new kind of to evangelical Christianity or uh, to uh, charismatic Christianity, Protestant Christianity, uh, you grew up Catholic, you're used to this vow of poverty. And it's pretty popular in the media, but it's not actually biblical. And here's what happened. Uh, in the Middle Ages or before the Middle Ages, what would happen is uh, the Catholic Church was not only a church, it was also a kingdom. And it wasn't the kingdom of God, right? It was, a, it was an empire. And what would happen was the, 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 the ruler of the local area was the priest. The priest was an agent of the Vatican. And the Pope was not just a spiritual leader. He was a military leader. He was a governmental leader. And so what would happen was when the priest was married and he owned everything because he was the priest and all the money would come to him and it would stay in his local parish and uh, he'd have a wife and he would die and his wife would keep all the money. And so they came up with a couple ideas to keep people from stealing the money. Well, one of the ideas was we won't have your wife steal the money because we'll say you can't get married which the Bible calls, the Bible's words, not mine, a doctrine of demons. Paul said it's a doctrine of demons that keep people from marrying. And the other thing they said was, uh, since we can't get the money out of you once you die, we'll just have you do a vow of poverty while you're alive. The only way we can trust you with money is if you don't touch it at all, which is crazy and unbiblical. But let's take a look at what what Jesus said about money. Take a look at this. Luke chapter 10 Verse 4, he's giving, um, he's giving instruction as he sends out the disciples to go minister. His very first time, he sends them out. He tells them this. says, don't bring any money with you. Don't carry a money belt. Don't bring a bag. Don't bring extra shoes. Greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. And so basically he says, listen, go to a house. If they receive you, if they want to hear what you have to say, if they have a heart open to the gospel, you stay there and you, have, you let the family know about this amazing gift that is in Christ Jesus. You release your peace, you release your blessing, you show them the way of God. And of course, as you're doing this, they're going to support you. Now, if they don't hear what you're saying, don't waste your time because they won't support you. He says, if they don't, if your peace comes back to you, just just take it with you. Dust the dirt off your shoes and move on. Have nothing to do with that. Go to people who will actually support you. You're not supposed to go out there and be broke. Not supposed to be hungry. Not supposed to wait and see if anybody wants to hear. No, no. If they don't, listen. He says, listen, if they don't support you financially, that is not good ground. Don't waste your time with them. There is a natural response to the preaching of the gospel of giving finances to those who preach the gospel. It's all through the scriptures that this is how it's supposed to work. This is how it's supposed to work. Paul was teaching Timothy, hey, you have to pay people. People have to get paid. Do not let ministers be broke. Again, we're going to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says, and watch this. Timothy is setting up all the churches in the region. And Paul's starting to talk to him about money. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Now he's talking about finances. He's talking about how you pay people. The the elders who rule well are considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Again, quoting Jesus, 
the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, again, the elder, the lead elder is worthy of double pay. This is what Paul is saying. He's not saying they deserve to be broke. Or they deserve to barely have enough money to support their family and they just got the love of Jesus and we can hope that someone has enough pity on them to buy them some groceries. It's not in the word. It also doesn't say that they need to be in a mansion on the beach. Though, you know, if you got an extra one, you know, <laughs> peace be unto you. You know, I'm, you know. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but the point here is Jesus made it very clear that those who, he tells Timothy, listen, first, first Jesus told the disciples, listen, you should expect the people you minister to to support you financially. Then Paul, understanding this by the Spirit, tells Timothy, listen, these people who are preaching, these people who are leading churches, these people who are leading in the elders, they deserve double what the average pay is. This is what Paul is preaching here. They deserve double because the laborer is worthy of his wages. This is a plot by the devil um, to keep people from sowing good seed in the good ground. He'll, 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 he'll sow any suspicion he can to keep you from sowing good seed into good ground. I love blessing people financially. I really like buying things for people. I really do it fairly often. And I enjoy it. People are like, oh, I just really think, I'm just like, Psh, good seed and good ground, man. I'm, I'm going to get far more out of this than you are. I am getting far more out of this than you are. I like, I like sowing opportunity into people. I like sowing my time into people. I like sowing my finances into people. I like sowing my trust into people because I know, I know I will get a return on it. I understand this principle. I understand that whatever I sow, I'm going to reap. I had a, um, over Thanksgiving, oh Jesus, over Thanksgiving I had a, um, I had a conversation with someone who was uh, at a dinner I was at <clears throat> and uh, they were just coming into really the things of Christ. And I was trying to explain to them uh, this, this, if you sow judgment, you're going to live with the lack of peace you've always lived with. Because whatever you reap, you sow. And I was trying to teach this person how to live in forgiveness. How to sow forgiveness so they can walk in forgiveness. And, and some of you, I just feel, need to learn how to forgive yourself. And that's, that's, another, that's another teaching entirely. But if you don't learn how to release people from what they've done to you, you'll never get released from what you've done. What you sow, you reap. I love finding good ground to sow into. Uh, I have found the good ground uh, to sow into is, is in two categories. And this isn't part of my message, but two categories. Number one, there's people that the grace of God is operating on. Like, I, I like sowing into people who've, who, who bless me, right, who I receive of their gift. I like to, I like to just sow into them. Look, I look for opportunities to sow into them. Um, uh, people who I see God is moving on. When I see churches doing something exciting and new, I like sending an offering. Like, I like to send anonymous offerings. Like, they don't even know it's me. Uh, I, like to, I like to just sow into, even, even in, in this city, I just like sowing into where God is moving. That's number one. Number two, you sow into the poor. People who, you, who could do nothing for you with their seed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Jesus said that, you know, the, the immigrants, um, the homeless, like the, the infirm. This is, Jesus is pretty clear. These are people we should be blessing. Amen. I don't know, you know, it's pretty clear in the Bible. Prostitutes. Oh, foster kids. That too. <laughs> people who are broken emotionally, spiritually, financially, right? These are people. I'm like, my wife wants to bless prostitutes. Bless them all. I don't know many, but, you know, if I see them, let's bless them. 
But hear me. I look for good ground to sow into. My wife helped me preach over here. Messing me up again. And so he says, don't muzzle the ox while he's threshing. And, and, and the, you know, the imagery here is, in, in the, you know, when they would have to get all their wheat and they would put it on the threshing floor and the oxes, oxen would pull around the stone that would go over them. If, you're, if your ox gets weak because he isn't eating, then you don't get any product. Right? So you don't put a muzzle on the ox. You let him eat whatever he wants while he's threshing. Right? And they said, listen, you have to pay the ministers. You don't starve the people feeding you. That you don't get good product after that. <laughs> right? Amen. 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 All right, next myth as I'm moving along, hopefully quickly now. Next myth. Money is the root of all evil. This is a myth. Money is the root of all evil. Again, in 1 Timothy, in Paul talking about this, he says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, follow me here for a second, okay? I need you to follow me here. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and chapter 6, Paul is talking to Timothy about, hear me, ministers. He's talking to him about what, how you deal with elders, how you deal with ministers. Now, if, I, if this were a ministry school, I would teach you differently than people who just are living your lives being good Christians in the world. There are different requirements in life on ministers than they are people who are not in vocational ministry. You, everybody should study the Bible. Yes? If you're a minister of the gospel, you better be learning what the Bible is about. You better be increasing in your knowledge of what the scripture is talking about, the Greek behind it, the setting of it. You better be getting fed enough that you're able to feed other people. Does this make sense? I know how I'd like my hair. If you cut hair for a living, you better know more than me about hair. Does this make sense? And so in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and 6, Paul is talking to Timothy specifically about ministers. And so he says that some ministers, uh, he says, listen, I have learned that, you know, I, I don't need money to be happy. He says, you know, I, 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 I have learned to just get along without having enough because at times in ministry, you won't have enough. That is just how it goes sometimes. You have to teach people about finances. And then he says, some people, some people are led astray because they love money in the scriptures. Look at this. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. He says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. He says, hey, listen, for people who want to be in ministry, if you trust God and you are godly, that peace that comes on you, you will actually, your, your finances actually will recover. This is what Paul is saying. You don't have to go after money. If you're called to ministry, you go after God. He'll start taking care of some stuff. Look at this. Verse 7. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Verse 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Now, this is Paul talking about himself, comparing himself to other ministers, right? Look at this. Verse 9. But those, he's talking about pastors. He's talking about those in ministry. Watch this. But those, he's comparing himself who has learned to even be happy without a lot, 
But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and with many full. Excuse me, start over again. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. He says, if you have these ministers who want to get rich, they are going to run aground. Their ship will not last. If you are in the pulpit and you're trying to get rich off of it, you have opened yourself to all kinds of evil. Again, Back at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. These are men in the pulpit. If you're in the pulpit and you love money, it's going to color how you preach. It's going to color how you minister. You're going to start picking out leaders based on how much money they have. You're only going to hang out with people with money. You're going to turn your doctrine to say, hey, I found out how I can get rich. You give me lots of money. This is how we get rich. Let me tell you this. I was praying one time. I've told you this before. I was praying one time about the prosperity gospel. Now, I believe God wants us all to be prosperous. So, so was somebody teaching like a very, 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 very long teaching on the way to get wealthy is to sow into the minister. This is how you become rich beyond all measure. And I said, Lord, is it really true that the tithe will make you rich? Is it really true that you created the tithe and that will make you rich? He said, no, I said, is it true the tithe will make you rich? He said, yes. If you have enough people tithe to you, you will become rich. <laughs> See, I don't think that's what it's for. I don't, I don't think that's what it's for. But when you love money and you have this level of authority, it will turn your heart. That's why you have to love God. Amen? All right, I'm going to finish quickly now. Myth. Paul told Timothy to warn people not to become rich. Now, the key here is context. Let's all say context. Just like I teach you not to be bound to the wrong covenant, you have to read the Bible in context. Here's the truth. God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing to others. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. He says, he is talking to people who are rich. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Don't be stuck up about being wealthy. Don't fix your hope on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of good foundation in the future so that they may take hold of what is life indeed. You notice he didn't tell them to not be rich. Paul told Timothy, hey, here's what I need you to tell the rich people. Don't think that you're better than other people because you're rich. Be generous. Love God. He didn't say get rid of your riches. He didn't say if you, they tell them if they really want to follow God, they won't be rich. He said, no, you should be generous. Tell the rich people, hey, awesome, you have money. You should be generous. Tell people who have a prophetic gift, hey, it doesn't make you better than anybody. You should be sharing words of encouragement with people. Tell people who have a gift of service. Don't just, do, do, don't just serve so you can have a better business. Serve people to make their life better. Whatever God has given you, whatever gift he's given you, it's to bless other people. That doesn't mean you can't encourage yourself more than you encourage anybody else. We're supposed to share our gifts. Again, let's remember our scripture from last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 10. It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
Who wants an increase in the seed they're able to sow? I'd like him to increase. But he says, hey, not just increase your seed, but also your bread. Not just your seed, but also your bread. Verse 11, you will be enriched in everything for all generosity, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. I'd like to be rich in everything. I want to be rich in love. I want to be rich in happiness. I want to be rich in friends. I want to be rich in time because I feel so poor in time so very often. I want to be rich in love. Stand with me if you would. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. I just pray right now. Just put your hand on your heart. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for freedom. If I can have the ministry team come forward. For freedom in the name of Jesus. I want to pray. First of all, I want to pray for those who are perpetually broke. I want to pray for those who are perpetually broke. Woohoo! I want to pray for those who are perpetually broke to be to come out of this poverty. I, I pray, I want to pray that you have the housing you need, that you have the, the vehicles that you need, that you have the finances you need, that you have the children you need, that you have the influence you need. I want to pray that there will be no more lack in your life. I want you to pray, I want to pray that you have the mm, Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare freedom right now. Father, I pray, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that your love would come and would heal every heart condition that causes people to have fear surrounding their money. In the name of Jesus. Lord, that, uh, that fear would not dominate their finances but they would have a heart of generosity. That you would have, they would have a heart of generosity. That your love would overflow their lives. And that they would use their gifts in demonstrating your love to others. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for opportunities to come. I pray for miracle money. Father, I just declare debt cancellation in the name of Jesus. Mm. And I just feel like the Lord is going to give some people a special ability to raise some special finances to take care of debt. <clears throat> I know that Jesus can wipe away debt. He really likes us to pay it off. Because the people we barter from deserve it. And so I'm just in the name of Jesus, Lord. I just pray, I just pray for an increased desire to pay off debt. That it would be as important as the dreams that we have after not having debt. That actually having the integrity to pay off our debt would be so important to us. And Father, that you would come and, and, and empower that ability. And Lord, I just, uh, I, just, I just release right now upon your people a prosperity and an expectation of financial increase. an expectation of financial increase because of your goodness, Father. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would stretch the faith of those who have money. That they would not only uh, be generous themselves, but they would learn 
how to organize the wealthy to give. Father, they would champion giving. And they would teach people the joy. Yeah. The joy of generosity. And Lord, we pray all this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we hope to glorify with our lives. And I just pray, Lord, everything that I've said today will bring glory to your name. And that we could be a people of generosity that people would know, man, Jesus met my need through that person at that church. Jesus met my need through that person. Father, I pray that you would multiply the businesses of the generous in this house. That they could be generous to their employees. And they would create an entire community of people who are breaking out of generations of poverty. We break the power of that spirit of infirmity. Ah. We declare freedom from that. We declare the blood of Jesus against it. And thank you that you, just as you've enabled us to do so many other things, you can enable us to see debt properly, to see money properly as the tool you've created it to be. We love you, we love you, love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. And give a clap for the Lord if you would.